For three weeks, three Sundays every year in October, we uh, talk about our global outreach celebration. We celebrate things happening around the world. We talk about local outreach and our responsibility here uh, where we are and where God has placed us. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, we talk a lot about unreached people groups at Mount Hope, and my message next week will focus a lot on that. This is an exciting time of year to think through what God has put on us as a mission to take his gospel around the world. But there's also an aspect of where God has placed each of us right here. Uh, last week we had Ed Nye speak, and I mentioned that Ed Nye ministers in one of the most unreached parts of the world. But according to many surveys, we live in one of the most unchurched parts of the country. Uh, there are fewer people that go to church on any given day in the Northeast, in New England, particularly, uh, than they say any other part of the country. We have a responsibility as we are here to uh, be a part of what God wants to do among this part of the world right where we're at. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning. And I want to talk to you about it from the perspective of doing good. It's become very trendy, I don't know if you've noticed it in our world, to do good. Uh, and I, what I mean by that is to act virtuously. I think if I went around the room, we could all probably come up with places where we would say corporations and individuals are trying and endeavoring to do good. There's so much wrong with our world that I think many people just want to be a part of a bigger solution, just want to be a part of something good that's going on. And every place you go, there's opportunities. Every place, even as innocuous as going to the grocery store or to uh, any store you go to, it seems like these days, before you check out, there's always the question after they ask you if you have a value card. After that question, they ask you, do you want to contribute a dollar to fill in the blank? Or if they don't ask you, then when you use your debit card on the screen, it says, would you like to contribute a dollar to, and there you are in that moment wondering what to do, and you look all around you, and there's little shamrocks up on the wall or balloons with people's names on it, and you are wondering what you should say in that moment. And for some reason, someone along the line at that store, that corporation came up with the idea that we should do this and be a part of this doing good. Each weekend... Uh, especially this time of year, lots of times there's a 5K run being done someplace. And that 5K run is almost always attached to some charity, some group, or some organization, or some cause, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, many people are, want to just run, and they think, hey, if I can run, do what I like to do, and be a part of helping something in a cause, uh, they'll do that. You can do it just as easily. You can do good by videoing yourself pouring a bucket of ice over your head. And this has become, you know, obviously the ice bucket challenge this past year or two. Uh, ALS uh, says that they, uh, hunt over $100 million was raised for ALS research from the ice bucket challenge. Uh, and why? People feel like they want to be a part of a cause, and if I can throw a bucket of ice over my head and donate a little money and challenge other people to do so too, then they were willing to do that. But it's not just individuals, it's also corporations. Forbes magazine reports that today doing good is not just something companies do once or twice a year, but it's become a business strategy. Doing good has become a business strategy. How many of you have Tom's shoes? Anybody have Tom's shoes? 
Tom, you buy a pair of Tom's shoes, it feels good, right? Because you buy a pair, they give a pair. And Tom's was one of the, you know, organizations that uh, kind of pioneered this, this idea that they've given away over 10 million pairs of shoes to children that need shoes in the developing world. Because every time someone buys a pair of Tom's shoes, they give a pair away. Warby Parker is a newer one. They do it with glasses. Warby Parker, you buy a pair of Warby Parker glasses. They're very trendy-looking glasses, affordable glasses. Uh, they have a store on Newbury Street in Boston, and believe it or not, they sell affordable glasses on Newbury Street in Boston. And when you buy a pair of Warby Parker glasses, they uh, give a pair away in the developing world as well. It's this corporate strategy to do good. Tim Sanders is a business writer, and he wrote a book called Saving the World at Work what companies and individuals can do to go beyond mark, making a profit to making a difference. And he said this, he said 65% of American consumers say they would change the brands, uh, change two brands associated with a good cause if price and quality were equal. 66% of recent college graduates said they will not work for companies with poor social values. 65% of American consumers, um, as I said, said they would change to a brand if it was the same price, but they were doing good. Inc. Magazine reports that doing good increases your credibility as a company, boosts morale, and enhances networks, and most importantly, boosts the bottom line sales. So it's become important for companies to do good, not for the sake of doing good, but for the sake of an annual report many times. And one thing is true about doing good. No matter who does something good, nearly every time good is done by individuals, organizations, or companies, someone's name is made great. Think about it. Every time someone does good, someone's name is made great. A company's name, an individual's name, a person's name. When people do good, someone's name is made great. Often we do good because people notice our sign is on the bench, or our sign is on the plaque, and many people will do good because of that. Uh, they, you know, will buy that dollar, put that dollar at the grocery store because they want their name on the shamrock, or they just don't want to seem cheap in front of the cashier there. Maybe you've done that. You don't want to seem heartless, so sure, I'll donate a dollar. We do it for all kinds of reasons, but when we do it, somebody's name is made great. Many people and companies are doing great, are, are, are doing good. And as Christians, as followers of Christ, I think many of us like doing good things too. As humans, we like doing it, but as Christians, we have an even higher priority. You don't have to look far in the Bible to find good reason to do good. There are many scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament that encourage challenge that instruct us as Christians to be doing good. In the Old Testament, many times, God talking to the Jewish people would give them instructions on how to treat the people around them, how to treat each other, and there were things of justice, and there were things of being kind and showing hospitality to strangers and aliens and all these things. But when you get in the New Testament, Jesus and the New Testament writers talk about it as well. In Ephesians 2.10, uh, it says this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. There are plenty of other scriptures. Colossians 1.10, uh, 
And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Every good work. And Hebrews Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and, say it with me, good deeds. There are plenty of places in Scripture that it talks about us doing good works. In fact, in many places, I think the world is kind of catching up to the church. The church is the one that really pioneered this idea that we are supposed to be doing good and be good for the world around us. It's interesting to me that some churches think this is a trendy idea, like this is something new that, 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 that the world has come up with and we have to jump on board with, when really it's the other way around. Really, the church, and, and if we follow the teachings of Jesus, have been the ones that said, hey, look, if we're going to be in this world, we are called to do good and to be good for the world around us. You don't have to look far. Organizations that have been around for many years jumped on this. The American Red Cross, hospitals. Many of the hospitals you go to, you don't even think twice that it's called Saint something or other. Almost always started by a group of Christians who said we should help sick people. Uh, there are other, many other places that have been around, whether it's feeding the hungry, visiting prisoners, clothing the naked. The idea that we are here to do good is something that didn't, wasn't an idea come up with people outside of the church, but I think an idea that people outside of the church are starting to come up with. The question is not, should we be doing good deeds? The answer seems obvious, but are we doing them, and are we doing them according to what God says? The truth is, we can be doing all kinds of good in the eyes of everyone else around us, but in God's eyes, not be doing anything good at all. And I want to talk to you about that this morning, because there's a difference between the good that a corporation will do, the good that a person will do maybe outside of the church, and the good that as Christians, you and I are called to do. And there's three differences I want to talk to you about this morning as we focus on local outreach. And the passage I just want us to look at this morning is Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 14 through 16. And if you have been in the church long, this is a familiar passage to you. If you grew up in the church, you probably sang a song about this passage when something like this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see, say it with me, your good deeds. Now, here's where it differentiates from everyone else who talks about doing good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. There's a difference between the good deeds that you and I are called to live out as followers of Christ and the good deeds that a company might do or individual might do. And I want to talk to you about three differences this morning quickly. And the first one is this. The difference in the good that we do is what motivates the good that Christians are called to do. Our good cannot simply be for profit. For one, we're a nonprofit organization. 
cannot be for reputation or so that people will think well of us. Some companies are doing it simply for that reason. If we stopped being profitable or helpful or if it hurt their reputation, they would stop it. In fact, we have seen that some companies will get involved in a cause, but if enough a stir is made, they'll back away from it because it hurts the bottom line. Neither can our good be simply motivated by the desire to relieve human suffering or to provide humanitarian aid. It has to be more than that. Many businesses might be motivated in alleviating suffering. While this is important, it can't be the only motivation for a Christian. The main motivation, according to this scripture in Matthew chapter 5, is to bring glory to God. The main motivation for good deeds and good works for a Christian is to bring glory to God. John Piper says that missions exists because worship does not. The reason that we go out and bring the gospel to all the world is because we believe that God deserves to be worshiped and glorified, and there are places in this world where he is not. And missions exist because worship does not. And so the same thing here. The reason that good deeds are supposed to result in is so that they may glorify your Father. The main motivation is to bring glory to God. Uh, And that's what the good works are that we're called to do. There's a little uh, book called the Heidelberg Catechism. If you grew up in the Catholic Church, you are familiar with catechism, but this isn't just a Catholic thing. Catechism is merely a way of learning doctrines in a question and answer format. The Heidelberg Catechism uh, was really more in Protestant churches, and question 91 of the Heidelberg Catechism asked this, what are good works? And the answer was this, only those which are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and are done for God's glory, not based on our own opinion or human tradition. Again, what are good works? Those that are done out of true faith, conform to God's law, and done for God's glory. That's a little different than just doing good works for the sake of doing good works. It's done for the glory of God. And people notice People notice it should always be done for the glory of God when it's done by the church. I thought it was interesting this week, the story about George Clooney, who you might not think of uh, when you think of this topic, but George Clooney was in Washington, D.C. this week, and he's using his power to shine the light on human rights and abuses in Sudan. And here's what's interesting. When he went to Sudan to see what was going on there, and if You've been following a little bit. You understand the persecution of many Christians uh, that are taking place in southern Sudan, but especially on the Sudan-South Sudan border. He credits the work of Christian aid groups for providing healing and relief. Now, to my knowledge, Clooney is not a Christian, but here's what's interesting. The work that's being done by Christians is getting noticed. Clooney returned from a trip to Sudan this week to document cases of bombing attacks, burned down villages, and ethnic cleansing against people living near the border of South Sudan. He shared some of the victims' stories, including one about a boy who lost both hands during a bombing raid. He's urging lawmakers on Capitol Hill to increase pressure on the Muslim-dominated North to stop what he calls war crimes. In one interview, Clooney told CBN News that Christian ministries play a key role in helping those suffering. They lead the work a lot of the times here, he said. When we were at Darfur rallies, it was ministers. It was a lot of people of faith that have been working very hard on this. 
So in some ways, I'm trying to honor whatever part I can in the hard work that they do because I'm a big fan of all the work that's being done. He's at it, and people really put their hearts and soul in it. Now, I'd like Clooney to go one step further and to praise God for the work that's being done, but it's interesting to me that he takes note when good is being done, it was the Christians that are there doing the work. It is people of faith. It is people that put their faith and trust in God. And, you know, prayerfully, one day, God will open up uh, George Clooney's heart, and George Clooney will open up his heart to say, you know what? The reason they're doing that is because of the God that they serve, and I want to be in a relationship with that God, to glorify the works of our Father, glorify our Father. When we do good, it should be ultimately to bring glory to God. It should ultimately, so at Mount Hope, we try and partner with an organization. As you heard from Amira today, an organization that's not just trying to do good and help a problem that's a problem, but it's an organization that will give Jesus to those they're helping. Some of you in the next few weeks will pack a shoebox. If you've been involved with Samaritan's Purse and the shoebox Operation Christmas Child, uh, we'll do this in the next couple weeks. You, Operation Christmas Child, you pack a shoebox and you send it off with Samaritan's Purse and they give it to a child in the developing world and they give it to them as a Christmas gift and, and they, you know, we pack it with all kinds of little gifts and they give you some suggested things and they give it to these children in Jesus' name. And they give them not only the gift and the shoebox, but they give them the gospel. The local church in that place gives them the gift and gives them the gospel in Jesus' name. And not only helps and gives a gift, but also brings glory to God. Uh, last week, I was at a ca the Catalyst Conference, and they brought up, they were talking about the Operation Christmas Child. And they had one guy there who received a shoebox when he was 12 years old. And the love that he received along with that shoebox changed his life. And I thought, I got to get this on video. So I took the video. Hopefully, you can kind of make it out. And I took this video of this young man from Grenada who got this uh, shoebox and how it changed his life from Samaritan's Purse. So take a look at this video. When I was 12, I was a child who was hopeless. And this program moved me from a state of hopelessness to hopefulness. There are many persons who I grew up with in my community who are on drugs now. And I could have been hooked on drugs, but because I experienced the tangible love of Jesus, I'm now hooked on Christ. This program allowed me the opportunity to move from a place of poverty to the parliament of my country. And there are many other children like me who are hopeless, who are locked up with potential. There are many children like me without coming into contact with the tangible love of Jesus. They would not recognize their true destiny and purpose in life. That wonder in their life would never be awakened. And I just hope and wish that through my volunteering and through the giving of shoeboxes by many people here in the United States who have given millions of shoeboxes to impact the lives of millions of children towards around the world, that many other children's lives can be saved and that many other children can be able to experience the wonder that is locked up within their life. And this is why I spend my time devoting to this program. Wow. You notice what he's holding in his hand. He was given that box when he was 12 years old. He's obviously much older than 12 right now. He hung on to that box. He became the youngest member in parliament in his country. And he is a follower of Jesus. And much of that he attributes to the love of Jesus showed to him through something as simple as a shoebox that some family packed and sent off 
in the name of Jesus. And so when we, glor- when we do good, it is not just simply to send a gift off to people who need a gift so that we feel better, because sometimes that's, that's what it is, right? We, we, we retweet the tweet, we, we uh, you know, put it in the Facebook status, and we feel, we feel like we've done something. We throw the bucket of ice over our head, and we feel like we've done something. But ultimately, it's not about us. It's about glorifying God, and it's about ministering to people. So Samaritan's Purse, the Operation Christmas Child, we partner with Convoy of Hope. Maybe you sponsor children through Compassion International or World Vision. These groups that not only do good, but in Jesus' name, bring the gospel as well. And so doing good for Christians needs to be both. And so we're motivated differently. But there's a second thing. It's not only our motivation that's different uh, when, we, when Christians do good. The second thing, there's a difference in the length of pain and suffering we are aiming to resolve. I had no easier way to say this. That's the best I could come up with. There is a difference in the length of pain and suffering that we are aiming to resolve. Many people who are doing good around us in our world are endeavoring to alleviate pain and suffering for the 70, 80, or 90 years that someone lives on earth, maybe shorter, right? The the things that are working with kids and trying to alleviate kids, whether it's Children's Hospital or Make-A-Wish Foundation, many of them trying to alleviate the suffering of children and kids who, you know, and people while they're on this earth and important and worthwhile and very loving to do that. But as Christians, it cannot only be our perspective. We need to have a longer-term perspective that cares also about eternal healing. If we did good by helping someone physically but did not tell them about the hope and salvation there is in Jesus for eternity, did we really do them any good? Or did we simply make it more comfortable for them on their way to hell? Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, she was there to get physical water for her body and for her family, but Jesus said, I've got another water. It's a spiritual water. It's a water that if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. And he wasn't talking about her physical thirst. He was talking about a, a spiritual thirst within her that could be quenched only by the Savior that was speaking to her. And, and he could have given her water. And he could have given her the best water she would have ever tasted physically. But he knew that she needed not only that, but she needed healing. She needed forgiveness. She needed a Savior. The miracles that Jesus did were wonderful to alleviate pain and suffering, but for a short amount of time, right? I mean, Lazarus was an incredible miracle raised from the dead, but Lazarus, to my knowledge, is not walking the earth today. At some point, he died. But it wasn't about Lazarus just being raised from the dead. It was about pointing to a greater truth of the one who defeated and could defeat death ultimately and spiritually and have an eternal healing. Jesus also said, don't be afraid of the people that can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And he's saying, look, don't just worry about the space of time you have on this earth. Ultimately, your soul and eternity are what matter. And if we don't think about that when we're doing good, then we may end up not doing any good, at least not in God's eyes. Your goal is not just to share your food or your money or your time, but to share Jesus with them. How do you do that? That can seem daunting. Well, I heard somebody this week who put it this way. If you know Jesus, 
you have everything you need to know to lead someone else to Jesus. I thought that's kind of true, isn't it? If you know Jesus, you have everything you need to know to lead someone else to Jesus because it's kind of like introducing your friend to your friend. If you have come to Jesus and put your life in his hands, you don't have to make it more complicated than it is. The scriptures don't make it very complicated when it comes to following Jesus and putting your faith and trust in him, and you can share that with your friends. But when it comes to leading people to Jesus, you know, I think it comes down to just basically knowing people, taking the time to get to know people, praying for opportunities to share with them. It's a little bit, it's really as simple as what we did in kindergarten, and it's show and tell. You and I are called to show and tell, to show the love of Jesus and to tell people about it. And that may seem daunting to you, but it doesn't have to be. That may seem awkward to you, but it doesn't have to be. Show and tell. Know the people who are around you. If you grew up on Sesame Street like I did, there was a song there that thing. who are the people in your neighborhood? They're the people that you meet when you walk out. So the people you meet every day, right? Part of the first part of sharing Jesus with someone and showing love to Jesus with someone is knowing people. So do you know the people around you? Do you walk out your door every morning, wave to the same person across the street, but do not know their name or the names of their kids or their story? Uh, Do you buy coffee at Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks or wherever from the same person, but do not know their name? Do you go to the grocery store at the same time every week and see the same person at the checkout line, and she's wearing a name tag, but you don't know her name? knowing the people around us, taking the time. If we're not interested enough to learn a person's name, do we really expect them to listen to us talk about the things of eternity? Knowing people, do we really, are they really gonna change their life on that moment? Now, sometimes God provides those providential opportunities. I love the airplane story. I love the, the on the train beside the person when God provides that opportunity. And those are great. But oftentimes, those are the exceptions because the people in that person's life that know them haven't shared Christ with them. And there are people in your life and my life. Some statistics say that about 2% of people in the United States on any given Sunday may be in a church, which may surprise you. And 2% of those that go to church would invite someone else to church. So about 2% of people that attend church invite other people to church. But here's the other eye-opening thing. 88% of people surveyed said they would go to church if somebody invited them. How many of your friends? And you say, well, not my friends. Well, I'm, do you know? To invite someone, simply knowing them, and telling and sharing with them. It doesn't have to be more complicated than sharing your story. And I think one of the things that helps me when I think about sharing Christ with people, sometimes we make it um, more complicated than it has to be. We work ourselves up, we get all nervous about it, and then we blurt it out like in a way that's totally inconsistent with our relationship with this person. We suddenly become a preacher instead of their friend just to get it out, and we're like, I gotta get this out. Instead, one of the things that's helped me is Spend time in prayer first, asking God, God, would you open the door? There's this person in my life, and I know they've got some situations in their life, and I know 
they need Jesus in their life? Would you spend time in prayer for them every day and take them before the Lord? And then you see if God opens up a door for you to talk with them. And you see if God opens up, because what's going to happen is your heart and your mind are suddenly going to be thinking about and looking for that opportunity to share Jesus with them. And God, I believe, is over that whole situation and will open a door for you that will seem completely natural that you might look at it and say, you know, I can't believe this. They're asking about this or this opportunity. Or you might have a boldness in you that you didn't even know you had because you've been praying about this and you've been asking the Lord about it. And it starts in prayer. It starts with taking that person. If I care enough to want to share Jesus with them, I ought to care enough to pray for them. I ought to care enough to take their name before the Lord in prayer. And if I'm doing that, I believe God's going to open up a door for you to talk about Jesus. Just ask God to do it. God cares more about their soul than you do. God cares more about their eternity than you do. He sent his son to die for them. So don't you think that if you pray, God, would you open this door? Would you allow me the opportunity, the privilege of sharing with them about Jesus, leading them to Jesus, that he's gonna open that door for you. I'm gonna ask you at the end of the message to think about and pray about a name, so be thinking about maybe there's someone right now in your life that you need to be bringing before the Lord. Someone that you may have never thought you'd have the opportunity to share Jesus with, but God wants you to. Three things, the motivation is different. Our perspective of how much suffering we're looking to address and alleviate is different. We're looking at eternity, not a short term. The third thing is this, that the difference is the level of commitment that's required of you for doing good. A company can stop giving at any certain point. If it stops being profitable, if it stops being popular, if it stops being good for business, a company can stop doing any of the good that they've been doing. Not so with the follower of Christ. A company that gives away 10% of profits might be considered extremely generous. Not so for the follower of Christ. And I'm not talking just about money. I'm talking about Romans chapter 12 that says, submit yourselves as a living sacrifice unto God. That my life is a sacrifice unto God. That my life is laid on the altar before God. That I die to myself. That I take up my cross and say, God, I'm yours. And it's not about doing good in my spare time. It's not about tipping you. It's not about giving a little bit. So until, but it's about sacrificially living my life and giving as much as God wants me to give and asks me to give. It's about giving in accordance with a life laid down for God. They cannot kill what's already died. And when you lay your life down before the Lord, there's nothing else anyone can take from you because you've already died to yourself. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says this, to the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul doesn't say, I'll go to this point and no further. Paul doesn't say, I'll give until it's inconvenient. He lays down his life completely. And it's what we are called to as Christians. It's why someone like Dr. Rick Sacra, after coming back from Liberia and contracting 
Ebola, and then coming back and being treated, says he's going back and goes back to Liberia. Why? Why would somebody do that? It's because the sacrifice that we're called to does not, li- does not have limits. It's what God has called them to. God has called them to go there. God has called them to be there. God has called them to be, use his skills as a physician to administer the gospel of Jesus Christ and healing in that place. And he goes, not because it's safe, not because it's easy, not because he has nothing better to do or it's convenient, but because God called him to go. And that's the call as the Christian. When we're called to do good, it's not about something easy, convenient for us. It's not about something we can do with our spare time or our spare money. It's about a life lived for Christ. Mother Teresa living in the slums of Calcutta. Why? Because God called her to administer the love of Jesus Christ to the least of the least there. Don Butera in India. Uh, Indonesia, excuse me, Tom Butera in Indonesia. Corey and Rick Camiso pick up their family, go to Dakar, not because it's easy, not because, oh, it sounds like a great vacation place, not because it's simple, but because the gospel is needed there, because there are people there that don't know Jesus, and if no one goes to tell them, they may never know Jesus, and so they go. And so the difference between doing good for a Christian, hey, do the 5K, do the, throw the ice over your head. You can do all those things, but ultimately the good that we do has to be done to glorify God, has to be done with eternity in mind, and it does not have the limits that we sometimes might put on it or the world might put on it. Our life is to be lived for Christ. So when we talk about local outreach and what do we do living in one of the most unchurched areas of the country, show and tell. Show the love of Jesus to the people around you. And then pray and look and tell them about the Jesus that you love and that you know. Show and tell or show and share the love of Jesus with the people around you. Your greatest responsibility and opportunity is to show and tell about the love of Jesus. You were given the gospel for it to flow through you, not for it to stop with you. You were given the gospel to be a culvert and not a dam. Sometimes we think we're given the gospel and it stops with us. We like, we're like a dam that stops a river and it just kind of piles up and we just kind of grow in our knowledge and our understanding and, and, and rest in the sweet presence of Jesus, but we never let it flow through us. But you were given the gospel to be a culvert. You know the difference, right? A culvert is something when it's a road or something is going to cross a river and it has the chance of stopping it. You put pipes or something through it so that the water flows through it and isn't stopped there. And you as a follower of Jesus and me as a follower of Jesus, you were given the gospel so that it would flow through you to the people around you in your life. It was not given to you or to me to stop with you. And so we look for opportunities to share Christ. We look for opportunities to bless the community around us. And so I I ask that you continue to help me to pray and pray with me. Where in Burlington are we supposed to be partnering and looking for those opportunities to do good and to glorify God? This morning in Belmont, well, they're probably done with it already. But just <laughs> at the end of service there in Belmont, or they're close to it, the end of service there in Belmont, they, uh, they had the head of the food pantry in Belmont coming. 
And for the last three weeks, Pastor Brian's been collecting $10 donations for the Belmont Food Pantry. And uh, he asked the head of the food pantry to come today at, uh, at, to church. And she said she would come to service. And at the end of service today, at the end of this same message that I just preached to you, that he's preaching there, he was going to bring her up and from these $10 donations, present to her a check for over $1,000 for the Belmont Food Pantry in Jesus' name. To say, here, we're a church. We're in this community. We want to help you serve. We want to come alongside you. And in Jesus' name... Here's a check to help you feed people who are hungry because the Bible tells us to feed the hungry. And so we look for opportunities to do that. We need to look in our community. We need to look in Burlington. Some of you uh, may have helped at the pumpkin patch this last week to help sell pumpkins to support uh, the, the food pantry here in Burlington. And we look for ways to partner and help our community. A couple weeks ago, I was in a meeting with the superintendent of schools in Burlington and just had the chance to ask him, what is the greatest needs in the school system in Burlington? I was surprised at some of his answers. But he, I just talked to him, asked him, what are the greatest needs? And he had some readily, very concerned about some things, that he actually approached the clergy association to say, how can churches, how can religious groups help with these things? And so great opportunities when, when they're coming to the church, the pastors, to say, we've got problems that we need help with, opportunities to help in Jesus' name, to bring glory to God and uh, to do it uh, for God's glory. So um, pray for opportunities. I ask you to pray for Mount Hope here. As you're attending here in Burlington, would you pray and help us to know how to reach out to our community? Where are the ways that we're supposed to be reaching out to your community? So I ask you and I leave you with a question that was asked to me this week by our network my network pastor, Pastor Bob Wise, this week in a meeting I was in with him. And the question he asked is this, what is your assignment? That's what he left it at. And he asked this to a group of pastors because as pastors, we can often get off track what our assignment is. There's all kinds of things to be done. There's all kinds of things that need to be taken care of. And he said this question, what is your assignment? And he ultimately brought it around to your assignment is ultimately to share Jesus with people, not just at your church, not just on a Sunday morning, but to share Jesus with the people around you in your life. And the question could be asked, who is your assignment? And so I bring it to you this morning just like he brought it to me. Who is your assignment? If you're sitting in here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, who is your assignment? Next week we're gonna talk about the unreached people in the world. And you might say, uh, Pastor Rick, I've got unreached people in my office. I've got unreached people in my neighborhood. I've got unreached people in my family. No, you don't. No, you don't. They're not unreached because you're there. Because you're in that family. Because you're in that office. Because you're in that school. They may be unchurched, but they're not unreached because God has given you the gospel to flow through you and to reach them. And so we are called. So who is your assignment? And if you don't have a name that comes to your mind, I'd ask you just to pray and ask God to show him who he's put in your life to tell about Jesus, to show and share 
the love of Jesus. Because ultimately, we live in a world that's right now really focused on wanting to do good. It wasn't always this way if you look through history. There were very, some very selfish times in, in world history. We live in a time right now where some people are looking around and focused on doing good. But ultimately, here's the truth. The Bible is not really about doing good. It's about being good. And the truth in Scripture is that no one can be good apart from Jesus Christ, no matter how much good you do. Paul said in Romans, there is none good or none righteous, not even one. The truth is, no matter how much good you and I or anyone does, we'll never be good apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And that may be something that you could use to share with people that are striving so hard to do good in this world and yet know that within themselves, evil exists. Within themselves, there are shameful thoughts. Within themselves, there is guilt that they carry around. And no matter how much good you do, they will not take that away. What you need is the forgiveness. What you need is the grace that is found only in Jesus Christ. And so there's a difference between the good that is done around us and the good that you and I are called to do as Christians. But in the world that we live, the most unchurched part of the country, may we be found doing good and making God's name great. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for the reminder this morning of your call to us to be salt, to be light, in the world where you have placed us. Lord, forgive us for the times where we have hidden that light under a bushel or under something where we have not shown like you want us to shine, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, right now for every person in this room who names the name of Christ as their Lord and Savior. I ask, Lord, that you would put a name on each and every one of our hearts right now, Lord. Person in our neighborhood, person in our family, place we do business, our school. Lord, that you would put a name on each and every one of our hearts, someone who we are supposed to show and share the love of Jesus with. Lord, and I ask that you would help us this week to be faithful to pray for that person and to pray for that name every single morning. And I ask that you would open up opportunities for us to show the love of Jesus and share the love of Jesus with that person. And Lord, I'm asking in faith that there will be stories that we will share with each other of the name that you have given us and people that have come to Jesus simply because we took the time to intentionally think about showing and sharing the love of Jesus with them. Lord, we realize that you have put us here for a reason and for a purpose. You have dropped us in the midst of this community right now, right here, for a reason. And Lord, would you help us to be that light to the community around us? Would they see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven? Lord, I pray that you would help us to be bold in doing that, Lord, to glorify you and to reach out to the hurting world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand?